Yeah, you better watch out for those drones that are circling your house right now. Welcome back to What You'll Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed the great man. John Perkins. John Perkins. He's The uh, New Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Yep. So, yeah, the interview was just as explosive as the book. I... You know, we never really got the opportunity to ask these kind of questions to anyone in the world. You can kind yeah. of just have a few beers and just chat about shit with your mates, <laughs> but you'll never get the opportunity to speak some of the, these really, you know, interesting questions to these people. So this was our chance some to speak to today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk, a, we spoke a little bit about the economic hitman stuff, but we seemed to just go off into just deep stuff. There deep was, shit. I thought, was, I thought it was good stuff. Yeah, what's yeah. going down in the world, you know? What's, and there's, what's a, really, there's a hell of a lot going down in the world. Going down. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's, he's actually coming to anyone who's in Australia and New Zealand. He's coming out March 2018, I think he said. Johnperkins.org, keep an eye. It's, uh, it's worth, you know, spending a couple of hours listening to John and hearing all the wild shit that he's got up to. Yeah, 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 that's it. Johnny. You can't you, t- you can't get away from those drones. Yeah. But then again, you know, if they don't get you, an earthquake or a hurricane or a fire or something else will, because the uh, planet's kind of falling apart right now. So what the heck? You know, you might as well <laughs> you might as well have integrity and speak your piece and let the chips fall where they may, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was uh, such a good book. So we did a thirty-minute review of the book during during the week, which we covered some of. the uh, some of the the events that happened in the book, but I guess we'll, we'll try and cover, I guess, a, a real bird's eye view of what's happening around the world and how really things are happening behind the scenes. So, uh, f- first of all, who who has the power of of the world's resources, and, and you know, and where does who's the best benefactors of I guess the the current system we have at the moment? Well, what I call the corporatocracy, you know, these are the people that run our biggest corporations or own them. The very wealthy, you know, we, we've recently learned that eight individuals have as much wealth as half the world's population. Eight. And, and that half the world is actually very poor. They're on the verge of starvation or actually starving. But eight individuals have as much wealth as half the world's population. They're definitely benefiting from all of this. Of course, there's a lot of others that, that don't have quite that much wealth but still have a great deal of it. So it's it's the big corporations. It's the owners of those corporations it's what I call a death economy, an economic system, political, uh, social system that's based on ravaging the earth, killing the earth, uh, basically destroying the resources, destroying the environment, and mm-hmm. causing a lot of pollution. And in the and the, they seem to be benefiting, at least if you want to measure it in financial terms, that they're benefiting. Yeah. Although in the long yeah. in the long run, they'll end up suffering too. Yeah. So I guess the question that follows that is who who are these these eight people? Do we actually have enough? information to know who they are and and they are they actually above above the law and and all that so they you know are they you know how do they how do they do it essentially well yeah you know you can the the list is published uh and are they above the law that's a that's a very interesting question uh you know in recent times we've seen people brought down by sex scandal so if they happen to have a sex scandal they may get taken down for that, uh, like Harvey Weinstein. You know, he's he's not one of those eight, but he's certainly a very powerful Hollywood producer, or, or or was until recently. 
Uh, what's very interesting to me is how people can be brought down by these sex scandals. Uh, athletes can be brought down in the United States. Right now we have uh, football players, American football players, who are brought down because they refuse to salute the flag when, when the mm. national is being played. They, they, they go down on one knee or whatever. And yet, at the and, and, and you know, and, and I'm not knocking the fact that the sex offenders get, get taken care of, get, get criminalized. They should be criminalized. But it's interesting to me that the people who really are behind a system that's destroying our planet and the hopes for future generations, they get away with it over and over and over. Mm, absolutely. And do you think like we're sort of, I don't know, it seems like the, the news cycle is so quick and there seems to be everyone's got access to be able to spread their ideas or, you know, this independent journalism. Are we sort of moving towards a place where you can't get away with as much anymore? That's certainly true on, on these personal issues like uh, sex and to some degree, uh, you know, people who have pyramid schemes that rip off a lot of other people. But the very, very wealthy uh, who are smart enough to stay out of those personal controversies are still getting away with amazing things. Uh, these wars that we're fighting, the, the incredible numbers of civilians killed every day in, in the Middle East in parts of Africa, uh, you know, the war profiteering is that's money that's made off that is 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 shameful, extremely shameful. It's, it's a crime, but these people get away with it. So we've got very very wealthy people in the United States and many other countries that are making fortunes off murder, and they and they're doing it legally, and they're not they're not being punished, and then you know the transparency just isn't there for them, and if it is there. People say, oh, well, they're just defending us against North Korea or Iran or uh, radical Islam or whatever. Yeah. So what, what are some of these, these wars you talk of? And I guess what is the, the general public, what are, what's the image portrayed to them? And then what is actually really happening behind the scenes? Can you just, just fill us in on, on how, it actually, how it's actually happening? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, we hear all the time about what's going on in places like Yemen and, and Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq, these these wars that are being fought. Uh, currently, there's, there's, uh, there's over 30 standing armies around the world that are actually involved in warfare from 30 different countries. Uh, many, many more countries have big have armies, but, but 30, over 30 of them are actually involved in, in fighting at the moment. And, uh, you know, the, the most noteworthy ones, the ones we hear most about, are in the Middle East and now in parts of Africa. Uh, we're hearing about Somalia, we're hearing about uh, parts of Africa. But um, what we don't, what we forget sometimes is that despite all the justifications around uh, radical Islam, around terrorism, and so on and so forth, one of the main driving forces is that these wars make a tremendous amount of money uh, for a few people. So how are, they, how are they making the money? Is it from uh, you know the, the people at the top controlling it? Is it the people making the the weaponry? weaponry? Uh, who's who's sort of making the money off these wars? Well, today we we've got the people making weaponry, what we call the military-industrial complex, of mm -hmm. making all these pieces of equipment that very quickly are destroyed, and new ones have to be made. Um, but in addition to that, Wall Street's making a lot of money off these because it lends the money. It provides the finances for making these weapons and insurance companies and food companies that feed the soldiers and the companies that produce the materials that are used in making all the equipment, the plastics, the metals. It's, it's huge. 
you know, the, the, so the, the U.S. budget, uh, something around 20% officially goes to uh, the Pentagon goes to, uh, and its related establishments. But if you look at the spin-offs from that, it, it's much greater. And those things don't usually get mentioned, but they're, they're very much dependent on war. Of course, we also hear about the resources that we gain through war, such as oil and other things. And, and people often say, well, we're fighting these wars in order to gain oil. Well, that's part of it. But there's another large part, which is just the self-sustaining economic qualities around warfare. This death so the death economy is really an economic system that's based on, on warfare to a large degree and also on ravaging the earth, uh, killing the earth, killing the resources. And there's, I guess, what the way the, a lot of the media would, would paint it, there's a third one as well, and that'd be, I guess, you know, at the moment, radical religion and, and you know, a lot of... Islam in, in the Middle East and all that. So is that actually a, an, an issue? And what we get told about there is it actually a real thing going on, or is it just a complete smokescreen? And there's actually it's a, just a crock of crock of shit. All of that. Well, I have no doubt that there's you know radical Islamic people practicing terror, uh, and the the idea of global terrorism that's a misnomer. There is no global terrorism because an ism is something where people share principles. So communism, capitalism, uh, they're, they're socialism, there's, there's a lot of isms out there, but, but, but they're all based on, on common principles. These people practicing acts of terror around the world, which is happening, they don't have a common set of principles. So the, uh, the FARC people in Colombia, who now apparently are reaching a peace accord, but, but the, the, the ones in Chiapas in Mexico, uh, have nothing in common with the Somali uh, terrorists or the Al-Qaeda terrorists or the ones in China or Russia. They don't have any common principles. So so it's not really global terrorism. They're global acts of terror. And most of these are motivated by people who are desperate, who feel displaced, who feel that they've had tremendous injustice done to them. Yes, they may be controlled at the top by wealthy people like Osama bin Laden, but people like that don't get a following. The fanatics don't get a following unless there's a reason for people to feel fanatic. Just, just, just think yourself. You know, if you were a 14-year-old boy uh, growing up in Syria, and your whole family had just been wiped out by a drone made by the United States, uh, and you had very little hope in the world, you couldn't get an education, you, you can't even eat very much, your family's gone, you're really angry, you've got really no future. And somebody tells you that if you just strap a bomb onto yourself and walk up to the American embassy or some such facility and blow yourself up, uh, you'll spend the rest of eternity surrounded by gorgeous, beautiful women who <laughs> will be deeply in love with you. You could either do that or you can continue to live this incredibly miserable, horrible life. What would you do? I'll take paradise, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think we... what. What we need to recognize is that if we truly want to end these acts of terror, then we need to address the problems that are at the heart of what causes people to go into these situations. And we're not doing that at all. And that's not a thing that comes out to the general public. And we're even we're seeing you know young people from the United States and Australia going off and joining terror groups because they feel totally disenfranchised. Also, uh, they feel that the systems that they're living in have failed them. And that's 
that's some of them. There are, of course, also a few crazy people that have got some screws loose in their head, and they may go off and do these things, just like they might become serial killers, or, or they might take up a gun and, and, and shoot several dozen people from the top of a hotel room. I mean, there are some crazy people out there doing stuff like that. I'm not addressing them. I'm talking about the general group of people that become terrorists, and the way to deal with them is to deal with the causes beneath the surface of what creates this sense of desperation among these people. The Confessions of an Economic Hitman, he obviously uh, revealed a lot of things and a lot of things that had gone on in the the system of the the Hitman and how they do it all. I guess there have been people, I guess, try to discredit you and say he's just some some loony who's making up stories. Um, What do you say to those people and is, uh, is it still going on today, the system? Well, the system's still going on today. It's gotten worse, you know, and the, the book, The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which came out about a year ago, I, I go into a lot more detail of how it's gotten worse. The whole system that we were using primarily in what we call the third world has now come home to roost in the United States, Europe, Australia, uh, throughout the world. That people now are, the systems that worked in the third world, what we call the third world, are now being employed here. And, uh, you know, there's things like student debt and healthcare debt and credit card debt and all kinds of debt like that and, and fear that's being struck into us about what North Korea is going to do, what Iran's going to do, what Russia's going to do, and so on and so forth. So the system's absolutely uh, gotten worse. And what was the other part of your question? Uh, people discrediting you and saying this is not true. Yeah. I don't hear that much anymore. When the book first came out, I, I heard that some. Um, and I, lawsuits were filed against me by Bechtel Corporation and, and uh, some Institute of Linguistics. Actually, they didn't actually file the suits they threatened to, but we sent them a lot of backup information that I have that, that proved that what I said was true, that I could prove it in a court of law, and they, and they went away. You know, in, I've been hearing mostly from the very beginning people say things like, gee, you know, I, I knew what you said was true, but I... I, I couldn't have any proof of it to you wrote your book. Now we've got this proof. And so, and, and these days, I don't, I mean, I'm speaking at huge business conferences. I, I just came back from speaking at a conference of 12,000 people at an international economic conference in St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, incidentally, I, was, I shared the stage with Putin and the Secretary General of the United Nations, Guterres, and the Prime Minister of India, Modi, and, and many others. It was an amazing conference. I get to speak at places like that. I'm, I'm headed to um, a big corporate conference uh, ne- next week. I was just at one this last week. and So I'm being invited to speak at some very, very, what I might call legitimate, uh, rather conservative organizations. I think people around the world are really understanding that this system is not working. And the question that they're asking themselves, including major uh, CEOs of big corporations, they're asking themselves, how do we fix it? What do we do? How 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 can I try to fix this system without losing my job? Yeah. Now, I guess for the people who are hearing this kind of stuff for the first time, it can be really a lot to take in. You know, that we, we grow up thinking that the West is such a, a good force in, in the world and then it's sometimes easier to, I guess, close your eyes and just go about your lives the normal way. So I guess what would you say to the people who are maybe hearing this kind of stuff for the first time that, you know, the, the world from the West isn't actually, you know, the best best force for good at the moment? I would say always look for the story beneath the story. 
you know, the story our governments tell us, the story that the press, the mainstream press, uh, tells us is is usually at the very best just the patina, just the top of the surface of the story, and usually it's also somewhat falsified. Uh, there's always, but regardless, even if it's even if it's the truth that's coming out, it's just a small piece of it. What's the story beneath the story? What did it really take to make this happen? For example, you know, what, what's the real issue around Iran today? The, the controversy between the United States and Iran. What, what about North Korea? What's really driving North Korea? Uh, and what's the story behind the story? And we can ask that in almost every situation. So I would really encourage your listeners to uh, always be skeptical. You know, democracy is based on questioning our government and our media. It's based on, on questioning the system. That's not unpatriotic. That's true patriotism. I'm a deep patriot. I question the system. I, I want to make our leaders look at themselves. I want to make them answer. I want to make the system transparent. That's patriotism. That's necessary in a democracy. It's interesting that you said that 40 years ago, it was sort of started at the top where, you know, the, the, the work that the economic hitmen were doing were going to the, the governments and giving them, a, you know, riddling them with debt. And now sort of, you know, filtered its way down to us individuals. So you say that as an individual, we're getting riddled with student loans and with credit card debt, car loans and massive mortgages that we can never afford. Uh, is, it, is, that, is that their way of controlling us as individuals, sort of? And, and how can we try and avoid this system? Well, it's absolutely the way of controlling us, and it it has worked in all these other in so many other countries, and still is working in those countries. I mean, we've still got countries with huge debts, and now increasingly, China stepped in to do something very similar to what the United States has did during my time, and the United States still does it, but China is really ramping this up, uh, and we're all getting hit, as I, or most of us are getting hit by this personal debt. I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> had any debt, you know, and I'm careful not to, including credit card debt. You know, I do use credit cards, but I pay them right away. I think the answer to your question, how do we avoid this as individuals, is just don't take that stuff on. Yeah. And, and I realize that's tough, especially for kids who, who have told me, you got to go to college, you got to go to a really good college, go ahead, take on $100,000, $200,000 worth of debt, and you'll be able to pay it back because you'll get a good job. Well, that's not true anymore. It, it, may, it may have been true in the past, but to, to a larger degree. But today we're finding these, and I know so many of these students, I, I, teach, I speak at a lot of colleges and universities, and these students come out with tremendous amounts of debts, and they know they don't get good jobs. It's, it's not that, it's not the, the system is really sunk very, very low. They do end up with this debt, which then forces them to go out and work for companies or, or that they don't necessarily want to work for, and they feel that they can't rebel against the system. They can't do what they want to do because they owe so much debt. And as an example, I, I recently talked to a, a young woman who came to a speech I gave and approached me afterwards and said, I, you know, I went to law school and I wanted to get a law degree so I could do good things with environmental law. I wanted to protect the environment, but I now owe over $200,000 in student loans. I'm going to have to go to work for a corporation to pay off those loans for a big law law firm, and then she said, "I can. I can, after about five to seven years, I can pay off my debts, and then I can do what I want to do." Well, the problem is, it's very likely that in those five to seven years, she'll fall in love, 
she'll get married, she may have a child, she may not be able to work every day because she's pregnant or has a child, I don't know, but you know, if, if she's a man, it doesn't matter. If she, if she were a man, it wouldn't matter that she'd still have a child and you want to buy a house, you want to buy a car, you go deeper into debt. And then you start saving money for your kid to go to college, you go deeper and deeper into debt. So the chances are that that person, and that whether it's a man or a woman, in that situation is not going to pay off the debt in five to seven years, but it's going to get deeper into debt. And we see this cycle going on and on and on and on. It's a very vicious cycle that enslaves us. We are enslaved with debt as a, as a general rule around much of the world today. Yeah, it's definitely not a, yes, a, a good lifestyle being in, in debt your whole life. But I guess looking at the world economy as a whole with the, all the debt we're in, we, we looked at the world debt clock or whatever it was a bit earlier and USA was 40 sorry 20 trillion even Australia I didn't know Australia was in so much so much debt we're you know half a trillion and so forth but the whole world's in so much debt so I guess my question is is this um, I guess process where we keep going into more and more debt is it sustainable and we'll get to the point where we're actually drowning in the in the interest of all this debt so we've actually got no no money left over for the discretionary spending as a as a an economy yeah, well, it depends on who you are. <laughs> you know, if you're in the United States, you can you can take on a tremendous amount of debt as long as the dollar uh, remains the global currency, because we can keep printing them and bail ourselves out of debt. If you're a country like Ecuador, for example, that has the dollar as its currency because the IMF forced that on them of a dec more than a decade ago, and they they can't write. Any currency, they can, they're they're in deep deep trouble. They're in debt to China now. They're in deep trouble, uh, and many other countries. So the United States is in the best shape because we have control the world's currency. That may not last if the if the Chinese currency or or some other currency supersedes ours. Then we'll be in trouble. And you know, I, a lot of people know that the reason, one of the big reasons that we went to war, that we took out Saddam Hussein, is because he threatened to create a new currency to, to, to sell oil, which he had a lot of, for something called the gold dinar. And uh, Qaddafi of Libya did the same thing or something similar. They were both taken out as a result. Iran threatened to do something similar, and we really went after Iran. So we're very, very careful in the United States. When I say we, I don't really mean we and we the United States. Uh, do not want the dollar's uh, supremacy to be threatened. And we'll go, we'll go to extremes to stop that. Now with China rising up and with these new banks that's created like the BRICS Bank and the, and the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, things like this, uh, it's getting a lot harder. So the United States is in, a, is in decline. There's no question. As, as the world's controlling empire, the United States is in decline. And China, for example, is on the rise. Hmm. So I guess there's... There's two different parts to that. So, so the whole world um, trades oil in the US dollar or, or something like that. Um, so as oil starts to, to run out, and if it, I'd like to get your thoughts on if, if you know, we're hitting peak oil and if oil's about to run out. And if it does, then then what happens then? Is this whole system going to fall down, this, this economic hitman kind of system? Well, there's no question that oil's going to, that we're ending it. It's, it's not just that we're running out of oils, that the atmosphere is running out of the ability to, to mm. absorb carbon dioxide, which is created by oil burning as well as coal and other fossil fuels. Um, so 
I, no, I don't think the system necessarily needs to fall because of that. For example, the United States now is, develop, is developing huge uh, resources in alternative energy. This last year, uh, alternative energy such as solar and wind uh, replaced uh, fossil fuels, oil and coal, as the number one uh, fuel in in developing new uh, uh, electrical generation facilities. So we're seeing the United States take a leadership role in that or trying to. We're also seeing China doing an amazing job and Russia doing an amazing job. I think Australia is doing it and many other countries. So oil is on the way out. There's no question. Fossil fuels are on the way out. But that doesn't mean the system is going to change necessarily. More likely what's going to change it is just the whole rise of, of, a, of an economic system in places like China and India and to a certain degree Russia that are competing with the U.S., European, NATO country systems, and they're very, they are taking taking over, and they're being, the Chinese at least, are being very ruthless in other countries in what we call the third world, and they, they're really implementing systems that are very similar to what I did as an economic hitman back in my day. There's one significant difference, and that is they're not building military bases in those countries. Uh, they haven't overthrown governments or assassinated leaders. So when I talk to friends who are in high places in government and in Bolivia and in Ecuador and other Latin American countries, they'll tell me, we don't want to take any loans. We don't want to go into debt to the United States or the World Bank or the IMF, which are basically U.S. vehicles. We'd rather go into debt to China because China has not done these draconian things like the United States has. I guess we're... Where is the hope? Is that is that the hope that maybe China is not as bad in terms of the 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 greatest thing? What, I guess what's the, the hope for us as you know future generations? Well, I think the hope is that you're doing this program mm. and there's people all over the world doing it. I, I spend a great deal of my time traveling, speaking about these things to so all kinds of audiences, including big corporations, and people are really getting it. Uh, there's a there's a consciousness revolution. Around the world, people are waking up to the fact we live on a tiny, fragile space station, the Earth, and we're navigating it toward disaster. The oceans are rising. The glaciers are melting. There's incredible hurricanes and earthquakes and fires. I mean, there's no question. Uh, climate change is happening. Global warming is happening. Uh, and, these, uh, you know, we're, we're behaving terribly as, as human beings. If you, if you think about it, if you were... An alien, if you came down from another solar system and hovered above the Earth and looked down at this beautiful planet with abundant resources and saw the way the predominant species, the human species, is treating this planet and treating themselves, treating each other, you'd be shocked and you probably wouldn't land. And you might at some point decide, hey, you know, these people are destroying this amazing planet. We've got to go down there and either get them to change or eradicate them. And I think we're beginning to wake up to that. Maybe we don't need the aliens to tell us this. I think we're beginning to wake up to the fact that this cannot continue. I know we're waking up to it. People around the world are waking up to it. The fact that the problem is, the, the issue is, the question is, uh, can we change it? Can we change our systems? Can we change our approach? Can we create, can we transfer a death economy to a life economy soon enough? Hmm. A, a life economy is one that cleans up pollution that regenerates destroyed environments, that pays companies to do that, that pays companies to recycle and to create new technologies that don't dig up the earth anymore and do not depend on war. 
we have the, the ability to create a whole new economic system that could be very profitable. We don't need to lose jobs. We just need to redirect our energies. Will we do it? That's the question. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the idea of, I guess, move, as we move toward like a circular economy where we use all the, the resources in a, in a natural way and how a lot of the people in the world are waking up. But what about the people at the top who are the, the biggest benefactors of the system at the moment? Is there any chance that they might be the ones who are actually waking up as well, do you think? Or is that is that possible in, in the short term? They are waking up. Uh, you know, I, I talk to a lot of them, CEOs of companies, and, and so many of them will tell me, hey, you know, I understand there's a huge problem. I mean, these are smart people. Uh, they, they, they get it. But they'll say, you know, I understand there's a problem. I want my company to be better. I want it to be, I want to pay my workers in Indonesia a fair wage. I want to clean up pollution. But I also know that if I lose half a percentage of market share, my stock prices go down for, for a very long, for, for, for a fairly short period of time, my main stockholders will fire me. And they'll replace me with someone who doesn't give a damn about being green, only cares about market share and, and, and stock prices. So these people, although we think they're powerful, and in some respects they are, they also feel very vulnerable. They know of all the companies that have gone out of business over, over the last uh, years. They, they, you know, they know about Woolworth and U.S. Steel, and they know about Kodak and, and Polaroid, and so many huge companies that have gone out of business, and they're, they're concerned about that. So really, in a way, it, it, we the consumer and the, the worker for these companies, we the people need to let these companies know that we expect something better than so I'd like to suggest to all your listeners that every one of them out there picks a company. I don't care what it is. It can be Walmart or Nike or Monsanto or some local company. But pick a company that you want to see changed and start a consumer program using social networking, which makes it really easy. Send an email, send a text, send posts and tweets every week to this company saying, I love your product. Don't make him a bad guy. I love your product, but I won't buy it anymore until you clean up the pollution you've caused or pay your workers a fair wage and get all your social networking circles to do the same thing and ask them to get all their social networking circles to do the same thing. That has power. We need to understand that the people that we think are very, very powerful do not see themselves as being that powerful, at least in many regards. They, they, they see themselves being under the power of major stockholders if they're corporate executives. And the politicians see themselves as being very vulnerable to corporations that control the purse strings for campaign financing and so forth. It's important for us all to understand that. There, you know, there really are no bad guys out there. It's all of us. We're all in this together, and we've all got to play a role in it. It seems like I guess the, the average person might have a bit more power than they, they may think, and they're a, a lot less helpless. So... So what you're saying is, I guess, that a lot of the corporations will listen if, if enough people care about it, that they will listen to a lot of people if there's enough critical mass who are really worried about some of these topics like environmental collapse, which I guess we should all be a little bit worried about. But Yeah. yeah the, you know, the corporations need to hear from us, you, your listeners, and all of our social networking circles. And I've had so many CEOs tell me, hey, I want to do the right thing, but I don't dare. Uh, I'll lose my job, and if I lose my job, I'll be replaced from, by somebody who doesn't care about these things. Uh, so 
tell people out there to let my company know, let me know that we've got to do the right thing or you're not going to buy from us. It's been a phenomenal conversation so far. Can you tell us about some of the, the projects you've, you've got on at the moment? I know you mentioned you're coming to Australia early next year as well. Yes, I'll be there in late February, early March. That'll be on my website, johnperkins.org, fairly soon. It's not there yet, but it will be. Um, and I do a lot of programs. I really encourage people to go to johnperkins.org. Sign up for my newsletter, because if you do that, you'll get announcements. It only comes out once a month. It's fairly short. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> and it'll, it makes announcements so you, the Australians will know when I'm going to come to Australia if they sign up for the newsletter. Hmm. Um, and... Yeah, what I'll, what I'll be doing is speaking in four different cities, uh, talking about these things at, at a public forum, and also people have the opportunity to speak out themselves, and, and I'd love to meet your listeners and sign books, get together with them, spend time with them, have a beer with them, whatever. Um, and so that's, that's what I do. I do that, and I'm, I'm writing I've got another book coming out soon. Uh, and uh, uh, Hollywood is about to make a, a TV series based on Confessions of an Economic Hitman. A, a major, a major pro producer and director have bought the rights to the film and hired the uh, script writer who was won an Oscar for his script writing. Glad uh, to hear that. I thought it was. It seemed, the, the story seems uh, like it could be a perfect movie or TV series. So I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Yeah, and they want to make it a TV series because they say there's it's too much in it for an hour oh, and a yeah. half movie. <laughs> Which I'm very happy about, and you know, we just I, nonprofit I founded, Dream Change, uh, just had a love summit for business executives in, in Cincinnati, in the United States. We had one last year in Portland, Oregon. Where this thing's going global, it's really to bring love into business to help businesses understand that they're all based on love, that every business is trying to get its customers to love it and its products, and in the future, which is now. The only way that corporations are going to be loved is if they do lovable things, like taking care of the future for future generations. Uh, and and I'm also been, I'm also deeply involved with the Pachamama Alliance, another nonprofit I co-founded. I take a lot of trips to indigenous cultures. Uh, I'm in, in December, I'm we're going to the Kogi in Colombia. I'll take a group of about 15 people there in January to the Maya of Guatemala. And there's still a couple of spaces left on both of those trips. If any of your listeners want to sign up, they go to johnperkins.org. Again, you can sign up for these trips. They're amazing trips where we hang out with these indigenous people in the jungles of Colombia and the mountains of Colombia and the jungles of, 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 of Guatemala. We, we have comfortable lodging in those places, and we do sacred ceremonies with the indigenous people. And it's all about learning more about what we can do to change the paradigm, change the dream change the perception of the world and to know that perception molds reality. So in order to change the reality of the world we live in, we need to change our mindsets, the, the way we perceive the world we live in. Yeah, unreal. Sounds like something cool. I might be interested <laughs> in. And just quickly, you mentioned there might be a Hollywood movie coming out. So a lot of these are really, you know, these things you talk about in the book are starting to go mainstream. So it's probably a question you get a lot. How do you go about protecting yourself? And I'll say that the people who bring it to Hollywood are they are they in any I guess danger for bringing this kind of information to the mainstream? And how do they go about protecting you know themselves? I don't think there's a big danger. I mean, I realize 
when I wrote Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and, and, and I write about this in the new Confessions of an Economic Hitman, how when I first started to write the book and I contacted other people who had had jobs similar to mine, I get, my life was threatened. I, I got anonymous phone calls. My daughter's life was threatened. She was very young at the time. And I was offered a bribe by a big corporation, Stone and Webster, or half a million dollars, not to write the book, basically. It was, it, was, it, was, it was in the guise of a consultant's retainer, but it was really a bribe. I took the bribe because I didn't want to be killed. I didn't want my daughter to be killed. But after 9-11, I knew I had to write the book, so this time I wrote it in secret. I didn't tell anybody. I wrote it as a confession rather than expose. Get it out there. And I think, you know, we, we realized that, that if you kill somebody like me, uh, I become a martyr and it sells a lot of books. Um, so, and the establishment knows that. Uh, so, and they don't really fear books that much or movies. What they fear is political movements. They fear people in this country like Bernie Sanders. They need to put him down and, and some of the more radical uh, demonstrators and people that, that's, that really are out there working hard to change. Uh, they, they feel that movies and books, art, takes longer. And let's face it. So many corporate executives only stay in their positions for a couple of years. The same for politicians. So they, they look at the short run rather than the long run. So, and the other, and, and I talk in the new confession of Lincoln on McKittman about how I was poisoned. I spent two mm-hmm. weeks in a New York hospital and had 70% of my intestines removed. Um, I'm doing just great, but, uh, but I think that was a crazy fanatic who didn't like what I wrote. I don't think that was the CIA or anybody because those people know that that just sold a lot of books for me. Uh, that was just a number of years ago that this happened, right after Confessions came out. So, I think you know, people like us are pretty safe. Uh, uh, Michael Moore hasn't, <laughs> hasn't been killed yet. Uh, there's a lot of people out there. As long as you're not actually working for the government, uh, you know, like the, the, the NSA whistleblower uh, Snowden and and others like that. I, I I don't worry about it. Maybe I should, but I don't. And be, you know, be, more important than that is, what's the most dangerous thing of all? It's to keep the status quo. Where there's no question that we're on a suicidal path as a species. So people like you and I, you and me, and and your listeners, we must take a stand. It's very very important that we do so. Yeah. Phenomenal. John, not only just obviously a bit of insight into all the goings on, but also what individuals can do. And that, as we sort of said, there's we've got more power than we think. We think we're just these individuals, but we're together. We've got a lot more power. I guess just to finish off, I think I can see a bookshelf behind you. Do you have any uh, favorite books or any book recommendations? Oh, so many. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a new one that just came out fairly recently called Drawdown which is, uh, poses a uh, hundred different things to plan that we can all do to, to stop uh, climate change, global warming, by Paul Hawk, and he's a good friend of mine. I was just hanging out with him two days ago. Um, I'd, I'd recommend that. Of course, all of my books, uh, the book Sapiens is a great book, and I happen to be reading that now. Uh, but, but there's so many out there. So I would suggest that people be drawn to whatever they're drawn to. Some of the novels are great. Shakespeare is great. You know, Macbeth. Yeah. Macbeth talks about everything that's going on in the world today. <laughs> uh, but, you know, follow your heart. Go with, go with what you love. Buy my books, of course. The new convention. <laughs> man, 
And the new one that will be coming out in a year or so, which is the working title, and I think it will be the final title, the title is Touching the Jaguar. Wow. It's a long story, but yeah. So but the main thing is for people to look for the story behind the story and always look for the story behind the story. And then we've all got to tell ourselves a new story. It's not about maximizing short-term profits. That's not what success should be based on. It's not about maximizing our material possessions. It's about creating a, an environmentally sustainable, socially just world that, that we will want, our children will want, our grandchildren will want. That's where we should be headed. Fantastic. Thanks so much, John. It was a great convo, and we're looking forward to seeing you early next year in Australia. Yeah, I will send you an email on that will connect you with the man who's or, the people who are organizing that, and you can get the, get information directly from them. I, I hope to meet you there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah, lock, it <laughs> lock it in. We hope you enjoyed that interview. We just wanted to remind you we've read some bloody good books this season so far and you can win them all yep so we've got a, a prize so there's three ways you can enter this and it is absolute bonanza yeah it is a bonanza you know <laughs> seven habits highly effective people if you can grow rich start with why to name just a few of the 48 books that you can win so you can firstly uh, fill out the survey at whatyouwillearn.com slash survey very short two minutes yep and you can see that in the show notes of all our episodes the the second one is leave a review for us yep you'll find that and the third way is to just buy a book yep. have a read send us a picture of the book or the receipt or something at uh, podcast at whatyouwillearn.com and yeah that's it you can enter three times three yep. chances three to times. win each time probably maximum three minutes time investment yep. and you could land 50 fucking good books which you can use to for give us gifts yeah good shit 